How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Colleen, and joining me, as always, is Eileen. How are you, Eileen? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, Today we're going to be deviating a little bit from our normal intro because we're discussing a case that's really important to us personally, and unfortunately, time is of the essence. There is a man on death row in Virginia who's scheduled to be executed on April 25th, and we're sure he's innocent. And I know normally we... I do the thank yous for our reviewers and our Patreons, and we do really thank you guys. And we also ask for reviews and whatnot, but it would mean the world to us and even more than a thousand reviews if you could listen to this episode. And if you agree that Yvonne is innocent, or at least there's too much doubt to put him to death, please call Governor McAuliffe's office at uh, 804-786-2211. So we're going to put our personal opinions of the death penalty aside and just talk about you know how the death penalty is supposed to be applied in this country and sticking to the facts of the case rather than our opinion and you know I figure it doesn't matter uh, if you're for it or against it I'm sure we can all agree that we need to be 110% sure that a person is guilty before we put somebody to death so we're talking about uh, Yvonne Telugu's and the murder of Stephanie Sipes on July 23rd 2001 Stephanie Sipes was found murdered in her Harrisonburg, Virginia apartment. Pamela Woods, Stephanie's mother, went to her daughter's apartment because she hadn't heard from her for a few days and uh, couldn't reach her. When Pamela entered the apartment, she found Stephanie's body in the front room and she began screaming for help. She then found Stephanie's 23-month-old son in the bathtub with the tub full of water, but he was alive. A neighbor uh, went to the apartment after hearing Pamela scream. They placed a blanket over Stephanie's body and removed the son from the apartment and called the police. Uh, This was a particularly brutal murder, and I'm going to describe what the medical examiner um, testified. And it gets a little graphic, so I just want to warn anybody who may want to fast-forward this about 30 seconds. So the medical examiner testified that Sype 
suffered a number of cuts described as defensive wounds, as well as three other wounds. The first was a superficial wound. The second was a stabbing wound, which affected the area, and I'm going to quote this, all the way from the left to the right side of the neck. And that actually cut Sipes' windpipe and esophagus. The medical examiner also testified. The third wound, uh, which was the fatal wound, was a cutting wound, and that actually cut the trachea and the larynx, and also the major artery on the right side of Stephanie's neck, uh, and that was completely severed. So at the crime scene itself, they also discovered blood that did not belong to Stephanie. Harrisonburg is a small community, and there was pressure on the police to figure out what happened and figure it out quickly. Police quickly focused their attention on the father of the child, Yvonne Telegoose. So Yvonne is one of 11 children. He immigrated to the U.S. with his family when he was very young. They were escaping the persecution they faced for their Christian beliefs. Yvonne's family comes from a small rural town in the Ukraine, which at the time was part of the now former USSR. Yvonne's family was harassed and threatened by the government because they were Christians, and after years of trying to escape, Yvonne's family was finally able to reach the U.S. and settled in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Yvonne did plastering for a living, and his former foreman remembers him as the hardest worker he's ever known. Yvonne's youngest sister, who's also his youngest sibling, describes him as a soft-hearted big brother who would go out of his way to help you and always made time to listen to her. And I'm actually the youngest of seven uh, children, and I just hearing that um, soft-hearted big brother and would go out of his way to help you and make time to listen to you. As the youngest, um, it can be hard to be heard. You know, especially being the youngest of a uh, large family, um, you know, there's just a lot going on. You're the baby. And just kind of reminded me of my brother, Ed, a little bit. Your uncle. <laughs> uncle Ed. My um, godfather, too, actually. Yeah, and it's just, he always was that way with me, too. He was, you know, much older than me. And I just, I don't know, just that made me think of Ed. And, and it has really played an important role, I think, growing up, because he did always make time and listen to me and things like that. So it was, you know, oh. affected me and... I felt bad for her if her brother's gone, you know. As I said before, the police quickly focused on Yvonne as a suspect. The day after the murder, police drove to Pennsylvania to interview Yvonne and question him on his whereabouts. So to point out that this is normal at this point, you mm-hmm. know, to look into people, you know, former boyfriends or, you know, the father of her kid. This is normal at this point in the investigation. Right. So Vaughn told them on Saturday he was at a cookout with his boss's family till late at night, like around 9 or 10. Sunday he went to run an errand early in the morning and spent the entire day with family and friends because his sister was getting baptized. Police asked him to empty his wallet to prove this story, and he had a receipt from a store in Pennsylvania. The police took the receipt, and it's never been seen again. His attorney got bank records, and the bank did have a record of a payment that was processed at 8.15 on Sunday morning. His mother also testified that she had seen him in the morning getting water before he went to the store. They went to go see a movie, and they had dinner that night, and they even have a picture of Yvonne at the baptism. And very early Monday morning, he went to work. He's a plasterer, so he works in construction. So he's at work, you know, they, you know, they start like at 6 a.m. So 
With the Vaughn's whereabouts explained, police were kind of stumped at this point. There were other leads, but they were never fully investigated. So, for example, Stephanie's family, some of them were involved with drug dealing, and it was thought that maybe she had been murdered due to retaliation or robbery. And Stephanie had also just ended a contentious romantic relationship with someone who was not Yvonne. Police were certain that Yvonne did it, however. Uh, There was blood found at the scene, as I said before, that did not belong to Stephanie. So police quickly returned to Pennsylvania with a warrant to collect DNA from Yvonne. And the police actually lied to get this warrant. Uh, They claimed that they had a witness who saw Yvonne outside of Stephanie's apartment. But it was later discovered during the trial that this witness said that Yvonne was not the person that they saw. And the DNA was not a match. So the case goes cold uh, for a few years. And that's until about uh, 2003 when the police meet Alexei Savinov. A deputy marshal contacted investigator Whitfield, who was the Virginia detective investigating Stephanie's murder. And uh, this marshal stated that he, uh, he had information on a Harrisonburg murder. Alexei, who was facing federal criminal charges and deportation, said he has information on a Virginia murder and he's willing to provide it, uh, information on it if they are willing to help him out. Alexei has a long criminal history, including threatening to kill uh, police officers. Alexei and Ivan, or excuse me, Yvonne, worked together up until about 2000 and were friends. Uh, Alexei, who seemed to always be getting in trouble with the law, had Yvonne bail him out a few times from jail. After bailing Alexei out a few times, though, Yvonne started to refuse to help him out anymore. And Alexei felt abandoned by him, and they just had a falling out. So Alexei told police that in exchange for a deal on the pending charges and help with a pending deportation, so he just needed this special visa, uh, he would give them information on this murder. Federal agents said that Alexei's credibility was, and I'm quoting, garbage, Uh, and that that he would say whatever he thought that he needed to say to get a deal. The Virginia police talked to him anyways, and an officer said, you know, maybe we can use him, but we can just not identify who he is. Nice, right? (laughs) Alexei told officers that Yvonne confessed to the murder while they were working together. Uh, This isn't true, though, because they stopped working together in 2000, and the murder happened in 2001. Right. Alexi said the murder was committed by a man named Edwin Gilks. Alexi did not identify Gilks by name, but only by a picture and remembering where he lived. Apparently, Alexi and Yvonne visited Gilks when they were still friends at some point. So this leads police to Edwin Gilks. Gilks also had a long criminal history, mostly burglary and robbery. And when police found Gilks, he was in a jail in Pennsylvania. Gilks denied knowing anything about this crime and claimed he did not know Yvonne, etc., like all of it. So during the questioning, the police turned off the tape recorder, and we know this because there's a 40-minute difference between the timestamp on the document that Gilks signed agreeing to talk to the police and the timestamp where the interview started. And then Gilks actually also states this in his sworn affidavit, that at some point the tape recorder was turned off. While the tape recorder was off, they show him a single picture, which is a picture of Yvonne, and they explain their narrative, uh, basically that Yvonne hired him to kill Stephanie because he was mad that he had to pay child support. 
and they explained that if he couldn't confirm this theory, that he himself would be facing the death penalty. So Gilks caved and said that Yvonne hired his roommate, Michael Hetrick, to kill Stephanie Sipes. He also stated that he did know Yvonne now, uh, not well, but because they had mutual acquaintances in the community. Gilks would eventually state that Yvonne drove all three of them, Yvonne, Hetrick, and Gilks, down to Harrisonburg, Virginia, before the murder and dropped them off, and Hetrick committed the murder while Yvonne drove back to Pennsylvania. Later, Gilks would admit that he told the story because he was scared of getting the death penalty and he was basically scared of dying. Gilks also told police that Yvonne was responsible for another murder that happened outside a recreation center in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. It was an execution-style murder uh, of a Russian man. This information will be used against Yvonne during the trial and play a pivotal role in getting him the death penalty. So the the weird part about this story is that murder never happened. And I'm not saying that Yvonne wasn't involved. I'm saying that the murder that they're using as evidence never actually occurred. It was completely made up, and the prosecution used this murder to argue for sentencing Yvonne to death. Right. It's just... <laughs> So after getting information from Gilks, uh, this leads them to Michael Hetrick. Hetrick had a history of violence, especially a history of threatening to stab and slit the throats of women. There were several accounts of women being scared of him because of these threats. When he was first approached, he denied knowing anything of the murder of Yvonne or ever being in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Officers returned and had a search warrant for his DNA. They told him they were going to run his DNA against the blood found at the scene. The police had learned that Hetrick had cut his hand around the same time as Stephanie's murder. So with that and Gilk's statement, they were able to obtain this warrant. Didn't have to lie this time, I guess. Police interrogated Hetrick for hours. For the first several hours, Hetrick denied knowing anything. Police fed their Yvonne narrative in detail to Hetrick. Yvonne didn't want to pay child support, that Yvonne drove them to the scene, and Hetrick murdered her while Yvonne drove back to Pennsylvania. In fact, they had an eight-page document that explained their whole theory in detail that was attached to their search warrant. On the interrogation recording, you can hear them hand the document to Hetrick and have him read it. Police experts will tell you that this is highly inappropriate and, and makes everything that Hetrick says unreliable. And the police don't do anything to corroborate the story. We'll never actually know what Hetrick would have said if he wasn't fed a narrative from the beginning. And on the point of corroborating their stories, Gilks has a daytimer, like a planner, where he keeps all of his appointments and everything he does. And they asked Hetrick about it when they first started talking to him. And Hetrick offered to grab that for him, uh, saying, you know, you can use this as evidence. And the police actually told him, no, we don't need it. It's been the defense's dream to get that book. <laughs> Hetrick also heard the death penalty threat. They really put the screws into this guy. So Hetrick knew the narrative they wanted and knew they had his DNA and the death penalty threat weighing on him. He was told if he did not tell them what they wanted to hear, he would be put to death. What was unusual in this interrogation, there, there are a couple things. So first, they told him that he was going to get the death penalty but they're more than willing to make a deal for him if he implicates Yvonne. And then also the police actually call the DA in the middle of the interview and she promises him a deal over the phone uh, and that he can, quote, escape the death penalty 
but only if he implicates Yvonne. It should also be noted that on the transcript of the interview with Hetrick, he was told he had to make this deal now. If he left, they would run his DNA and he would be put to death. So he had to really make this decision now. And they just really laid into him. And just, if you're going to leave, you're going to die. Because he knew they had him kind of dead to rights with his blood, right? We will have excerpts of the interrogation on our blog posts and such. You can also find it online, but we'll post it because you just need to see how hard they were laying into Hetrick and also just how gung-ho the cops were for him. For Yvonne, excuse me. They were using the read technique, which is taught to law enforcement. It involves direct confrontation, shifting blame, and leading the person they're interrogating, things like that. Um, It's controversial because it... Critics claim it can elicit false confessions, which is obviously a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And it should be noted that Wicklander, Zulowski and Associates, which is a major police consulting firm, is actually abandoning teaching this method of interrogation because they have found that it leads to false confessions. And a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Quote, we'll only discuss this method in an effort to highlight potential risks posed in obtaining a false confession. Now, this actually just happened this month. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, It's kind of a big deal. So after hours of this, Hetrick repeats the police story and implicates Yvonne. He adds a few things of his own, though. Hetrick claims Yvonne hired him at a birthday party for Gilks' brother-in-law. This is where the deal went down. Uh, Later on, it was discovered that there was a birthday party, but nobody saw Yvonne there. Hetrick gave a detailed story on how they got paid as well. (laughs) Yvonne called ahead, and they met the Tuesday after the murder. The problem with the story is that Gilks was in jail at the time they were supposedly meeting up to get paid. And at the pretrial hearing, Hetrick changed his story a little bit. He added that he had been on LSD during the time of the murder, but then later he admitted that he lied about being on LSD and saying that he was just trying to get a better deal by saying that he was on drugs. 
He retracted this part of the story because being on drugs would make him a less reliable witness for the prosecution. So with Hetrick's confession, quote unquote, police were able to arrest Yvonne on July 1st, 2004. The prosecution's entire case was based on the testimony of these three men. Alexi, whose credibility was said to be garbage by the federal officers, Gilks, who barely knew Yvonne and was in jail when they were quote-unquote getting paid, and Hetrick, who had previous violence towards women and lied about circumstances to get a better deal. There is no other evidence linking Yvonne to this murder. They didn't find any suspicious bank transactions. His story has always been the same. It's remained consistent. He continued to pay his child support and was caught up on his child support until he was arrested. But all three of these men got amazing deals. Alexi got a drastically reduced sentence for the charges he was facing, and the prosecutor fought to get him a visa. Gilks got a drastically reduced sentence and didn't face a death penalty for his involvement. And Hetrick got a life plea and never faced a death penalty either. Because of these amazing deals and the conflict and testimony, it was important that the jurors believed all three. They could not stand on their own as credible. All three had to be heard and believed. We should note that Yvonne's attorney filed a motion to have the testimony of the Ephrata Rec Center murder ruled prejudicial and not allowed to be entered as evidence. That said, Yvonne's own attorney, during cross-examination or something, asked Gilks about that murder. So unfortunately, that was opened the door for the prosecution to um, use that as evidence as well. Yvonne was found guilty of capital murder in 2006. Before sentencing, the prosecution offered Yvonne a deal. They would not pursue the death penalty and give him life if he admitted to everything and drop all appeals, all rights to all appeals. Yvonne refused and maintained his innocence and any involvement in the murder. During the sentencing hearing, the prosecution argued that because of this Ephrata murder, it showed a pattern of how Yvonne dealt with his problems. Uh, Yvonne should not be allowed to live. He's too dangerous. He's involved in the mob and can just call out murders from prison. And again, this is based on that Ephrata murder testimony that Gilks basically testified to. And because of that, the jurors were scared. They even asked the judge if Yvonne had their names and addresses because they were that concerned about it. The judge told them that it's customary for the defense to have all the juror information. So it didn't take long for the jury to come back with the death penalty. And since then, Yvonne has been on death row for 11 years. And all for a murder that never happened. Uh, So in death penalty cases, after sentencing and the direct appeal, new attorneys take over and a new investigation begins. Yvonne is currently represented by Virginia Capital Representation Resource Center, or VCRRC, a nonprofit law firm dedicated to providing direct representation in death penalty cases in Virginia. A lot of the refuting of the facts we've already spoken about comes from the VCRRC's investigation and information provided to us by the documentary on Yvonne's Prayer for Justice website, and then as well as directly from the attorneys representing Yvonne themselves. Elizabeth and Rob graciously made time to speak with us and helped us understand Yvonne's case and answered all these questions we had. They clarified a lot of points with us. They were really great. Yeah, they were awesome. I know they got to be extremely busy. 
One of the biggest bombshells that makes me feel that the governor needs to, at the very least, commute Yvonne's death sentence is that two of the three men, and remember, their testimonies were the state's only evidence against Yvonne, recanted their testimony and signed sworn affidavits. Gilks came forward and gave two sworn written statements recanting his trial testimony, meaning he lied at trial. Gilks actually had written Yvonne a letter after he was sentenced to death, apologizing, and then submitted the sworn statements in 2008 and 2010. Gilks said that he was pressured to do so by the police and prosecution and did it to save himself. He was afraid of dying. They threatened his life. Uh, he also had, you know, quote unquote, kind of figured they would figure all this out or figure out he was lying because so much of his testimony was made up. He just figured it would all come out in the wash or in the rinse, I guess, right? We asked Yvonne's attorney if there was any incentive, legal or otherwise, for him to recant, and there's no incentive. In fact, he's putting himself in a precarious position because of the deal he got. Uh, reading his statements and letters, his guilt got the better of him, it sounds like, and he just really didn't think it would maybe go this far, and, and he's hearing that Yvonne has, you know, got the death penalty. He just had to come forward. Alexei came forward in 2012 as well. Um, by this time, he had been deported to Kazakhstan. He gave a sworn written statement admitting that he lied in his testimony, and Alexei said that everything that he said about Yvonne was false. The real reason he lied was to get leniency on his charges and to get the visa that the prosecutor promised to help him out with, which would have helped him stay in the United States. Through investigation... It was found, as I said before, that the effort of murder never happened. It was completely made up, and furthermore, this murder was investigated by police once it was brought up, like way in the beginning, before the trial. And this is just what blows my mind, so I keep harping on it, because it's just one of the facts of this case that really just, um, you know, makes me short-circuit in my brain a little bit. The prosecution used this made-up murder strategically uh, to argue for killing Yvonne. They used it to scare the jurors. I remember the jurors asked the judge, hey, did, you know, do they, does he have our information? Do they, you know, know where we live? And I don't blame him, you know, in a sense, you hear. Well, the murder made him sound like this, you know, calculated, cold-blooded killer that, you know, at any given moment, if somebody pisses him off, he can just go kill them. Yeah, dial a murder from jail, right? You know? However, during a hearing, a federal agent that interviewed Gilks testified that he investigated this murder claim and found there was no such murder. And this is, he investigated this before Yvonne's trial, just to be clear. That information was passed along to his superior, and his superior was a liaison uh, with the Virginia police. So my question is, did the prosecution know that this murder was fake while arguing to kill Yvonne? So according to my research, uh, and questions I ask the attorneys, it's a normal procedure to investigate such claims. You have somebody saying, hey, there's a murder um, that happened over here. They're going to go check it out. And they did, it sounds like. And I'm assuming they passed that information on to the Virginia police. But if they didn't hear back, Virginia should have verified the claim. So whether the prosecutor knew this murder happened or not, she should have known for sure if it happened, before she used it as evidence. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so let's say the feds didn't tell her they should have checked it out themselves, especially before using it to argue 
to put somebody to death. And it's very, like, it's very likely they did know, and she still used it. Uh, Yvonne's attorneys also investigated this as well. And again, they found the murder never happened. They talked to police. They talked to the rec center manager, everybody. Um, but here's the kicker in all of this. The attorney general's office, who was representing Virginia in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, it's the second highest court, admitted that there was no evidence that she had the murder presented at trial had ever occurred. The police's narrative on Yvonne's motive was that he didn't want to pay child support. Killing one parent doesn't alleviate your obligation to pay child support, though. And also, Yvonne was current on his child support payments, and he'd always paid and even continued to pay after Stephanie's death. He only stopped when he was arrested. Another problem with the state's case is the timeline. They state that Yvonne drove Gilts and Hetrick from Pennsylvania to Virginia Saturday uh, evening and then drove back. Lancaster, Pennsylvania to Harrisonburg, Virginia is 208 to 222 miles apart. You know, they give you, when you Google it, (laughs) about three and a half to four hours, according to Google Maps. So Yvonne would have had to have an eight to 10 hour drive to get back to Pennsylvania to go to the store because we have that bank card transaction showing an 8, 15 a.m., you know, a Sunday morning transaction, right? And make it for the baptism. No sleeping, no stopping. Just unlikely to put yourself under such a pressed time frame when you're planning this murder. He would have to speed and that, you know, puts you, you could get pulled over. You know, you don't want to put yourself in any sort of position to draw any attention to yourself so it just doesn't fit in my mind or I, I think yours to have a plan this doesn't seem like a odd plan <laughs> if right. at all a plan. and then I wanted to mention a few other remarkable facts and discoveries Gilks and Hetrick's testimony contradicted each other's Gilks said that Hetrick was hired to kill Stephanie but then Hetrick stated that Gilks was the one that was hired to kill her but then Gilks chickened out and Hetrick's had to quote, finish the job. There is no physical DNA or suspicious bank activity or anything that links Yvonne to Stephanie's murder other than the testimony of these guys, and two of them basically came back and recanted. Uh, The medical examiner report had the time of death as Sunday evening, but police changed that time of death to Sunday morning because it fit better with their narrative and their timeline. And while there is a mention of Stephanie's contentious ex-relationship in reports, there's no evidence that they ever followed up with that, you know, at any stage in the investigation. And federal agents are on record saying, do not use Alexi's testimony. His credibility is garbage, and he will say what he thinks he needs to say to get what he wants. Unfortunately, Yvonne's latest hearing wasn't successful because they said the sworn affidavits of Gilks and Alexi was not enough to discredit uh, their original testimony. Alexi has been deported, so he's not in the country and cannot testify in court. Gilks, fearing perjury charges and ruining a deal he received, he gets out of jail in a year, I believe, uh, pled the fifth when it came to testify. Uh, I should note, to be clear, that Gilks was present during the murder. He stated in his affidavit that he and Hetrick were going on a drug run, when they got there, Hetrick said he was going to go kill someone. So Gilk stayed in the car while Hetrick committed the murder. Alexi was into drugs, and Stephanie's family was also known to be into drug dealing. 
That could all be the connection to how this poor woman lost her life, uh, more so than Yvonne not wanting to pay child support, in my opinion. But we'll never know unless Hetrick tells the truth. But in his plea deal, it states if he changes his testimony, they'll come they will come after him with a death penalty and perjury charges. So Virginia plans on executing Yvonne on April 25th, 2017. Uh, the government's case against Yvonne is based on false evidence. The police and the prosecution coerce witnesses with threats and promises, and two of those witnesses have sworn to this. Also, we have Hetrick's blood in Stephanie's apartment, and the prosecution influenced the jury to sentence Yvonne to death using basically a made-up murder. Right. And I believe with everything that I have seen and heard, I personally believe that Yvonne is innocent. And I think most everyone can agree, at the very least, there's too much doubt in this case um, to put him to death. So I, I personally would like to see Governor McAuliffe grant him a full pardon. That's what I would like to see. I agree. I think if Yvonne's execution moves forward, Virginia will be making an irreversible mistake that's not in the interest of pursuing justice. Not for Yvonne and not for Stephanie Sipes. I think the best thing we can do is help spread the word and contact Governor McAuliffe's office. And if you agree with us that Yvonne is innocent or that, as I said before, you know, there's doubt of his guilt, please call Governor McAuliffe's office and ask him to stop Yvonne's execution. The number you can call is 804-786-2211. You can also sign the change.org petition, and you, you can find uh, that on the www.yvonnesprayerforjustice.org website. So that wraps us up for today. Thank you for listening. Um, If you haven't already, you can follow us on social media or join our Facebook group and tell us what you think. We can also answer any questions you have about Yvonne and Yvonne's case. Um, Also, you know, please consider calling Governor McAuliffe's office and ask that he stops Yvonne's execution. Every day I think about the day that Yvonne will be executed. And I think of sitting there in Greensville Correctional Center with him and having to look at him and knowing as the clock ticks down that Virginia is going to execute someone who I know is innocent. When you see an innocent man and when you can look him in his eyes and you can know that he's facing execution, it really gives you pause about the death penalty as a whole, even for somebody who's always believed in it, as I have. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.